pursued us. You saw us in our need with absolutely no hope. You loved us and rescued us, paid the ultimate price that we can be free to have our sins forgiven, an opportunity to start life all over again and know we have heaven. When we leave this world, how could we ever thank you? We do. We thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to give you praise. I trust that the words that we have sung are not just words on a screen, but really do want to draw close to you because we know you will draw close to us. And we do want you to have it all. So Father, be glorified in everything we do this day. Bless our ministries all over this campus. May your glory and grace abound for all over this community as brothers and sisters in Christ are gathering together and pastors are sharing truth. I trust you will use and anoint them in really powerful and profound ways. In these days of uncertainty, may you speak to us and may you hear our hearts cry as we speak to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I do encourage you to read all the uh, announcements and advertisements and all the issues that are coming up in your bulletin this morning. Make sure you read them carefully. Uh, you may have heard one way or the other, but our brothers and sisters over at the Church of God are having services today in their fellowship hall. They were struck by lightning this week, and uh, it fried all of their sound system and lighting and everything in the sanctuary. So uh, pray for them if you think about that for the next couple of weeks as they try to figure out what to do in regards to that. It's a really important meeting the next couple of months at the uh, Butler City Council meeting this Thursday night, first reading of the ordinance that we've been talking about, and then the vote will be in November. So pray for them and uh, talk to them, write them. It's easy to find who the Butler City Council members are. Make sure you do that with grace and love, truth with love. Remember, that's our theme. And Monday, November the 7th, churches all over America are calling it a day of prayer and fasting. And I'd love for you to keep that in your mind, drop that down somewhere. And uh, we'll talk more about it over the next couple of weeks before the election this fall. But November the 7th, that Monday, a day of prayer and fasting with churches all over the nation. Let me ask you a number of questions. It seems to be that's one of the ways that I normally start many of my messages. And so I want to ask you this. Have you ever been given a task at home, a project at work, an assignment at school, and you found yourself saying, seriously? Like, how can I do that? I mean, Dad said to you, I want you to go out and rake the leaves and put them all in a bag. Okay? We have 25 acres and 800 trees. Seriously? Remember college when they said to you, I want you to read this 1,000-page book by tomorrow and give a report? Or maybe at work, the pressure is overwhelming and you find your boss coming to you and saying, look, this has to be done by Friday, and it has to be done well. And you recognize and acknowledge and understand how much effort's going to have to go into that, how hard it's going to be, and you find yourself every once in a while in the midst of all of those kind of sayings, saying, seriously, it's impossible to do what you're asking me to do. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we went through half of chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5 with a, a list, a long list, not exhaustive, but a long list of behaviors that now that we're followers of Christ, we've got to walk away from. And that list was pretty extensive. I mean, he took, you got six chapters in the book of Ephesians. He took almost a whole chapter, half of four and half of five, saying, look, now that you're a follower of Christ, 
all those things you used to do, you're no longer to do. And you look at some of them and you say, I can do that. I, I won't do that. I can walk away from that behavior. But when you look at the long, exhaustive list, I got to believe that every once in a while you found yourself looking at it saying, seriously? How? I mean, that's a pretty long list, God. That's a lot of behaviors that I've got to walk away from. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, I get it. I wasn't to do those things. I'm not to do those things. And now that I'm a follower of Christ, I really want to follow you with every fiber of my being. But it's hard. Do you know what I deal with, God, on a regular basis? I mean, come on. Truth all the time? Everybody lies a little. Sexual purity, who does that? Control my anger. You've seen the way people drive? <laughs> Forgive? Are you kidding? Do you know what they did to me? Forgive as I've been forgiven. I get it. I understand how much I've been forgiven. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. Forgive? All the time? It's impossible. All right, I can curb my language. No more dirty jokes. I, I get all that. No more filthy talk coming out of my mouth. I get all of that. But I got to be honest with you, God. Some of this is really hard to do. Do you know where I work? Do you know some of the people I work with? Now, I get a lot of that, God, but I got to be really honest with you. Some of what you're asking me to do is impossible. So I'm telling you right up front, I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to live the life you're calling me to, walking away from all the stuff I used to do and I'm not supposed to do, and live this godly, holy life. How, God, am I to do that? Maybe you've never asked that question. But fascinatingly enough, God has an answer to that question if you have. And the interesting thing about that, it flows right out of that section of Scripture. Of all the things, now that I'm a follower of Christ, I no longer do, and all the things that I need to walk away from and put behind me, and this life that he's calling me to of holiness and godliness that I'm going to live out every day of my life and every moment of my life, how on earth am I to do that? He gives us an answer. Imagine in your life, on this side of this door, is all the things you don't want to do anymore. And you look at the list, and you've read the list, and you heard me spend two Sundays talking about the list. And you recognize, to be really honest, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. And imagine on the other side of that door is all the goodness and glory and grace of God, a life filled with enthusiasm and excitement, a life of purity and a life of holiness, a life that you can really enjoy and know that when it's all said and done, you'll look God in the face and be delighted to see him and not ashamed about anything that you've lived out. And you want to get on the other side of that door. You really want to get on the other side of the door, but you can't. you got all this stuff pushing at you and all that thing on the other side that you want to get to, but all of you can't get there. Unless what? You had the code, Right? 
has a code we can get to. Take your Bibles out and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now we're going to do 15 to 18. The key to this, the code to all of this is 518. But I want to read backwards a minute. Joe did a phenomenal job last Sunday morning of backing up what it is we're talking about and being able to know that I really don't have to succumb to those temptations, that God has given me a way out and a way through the things that he wants to teach me and deepen in my walk. In Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us a really profound answer to how do I get from here to there in this section. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. This is what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You got sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, so I'd love you to take them out because it really is one of the greatest sections of Scripture in all of Ephesians. One of the most powerful verses is in 518. You eliminate that verse and you eliminate the power to do everything that God is calling us to do since the beginning of chapter 4. If we try to live the Christian walk without the power of the Spirit, we'll end up with a legalistic list of do's and don'ts and we'll try like crazy to do them. Remember when we began this series, we had a car on the stage and some of you wondered how we got it there and Gary is just brilliant being able to accomplish that. We talked about the first three chapters of Ephesians being able to help us understand what the power of God is all about, what our potential is, what he wants us to become, and then chapters four to six is the roadmap. Now that you understand your power and what God did, how he rescued you out of darkness and gave you life, how he took you from nothing and gave you everything, how he calls you his masterpiece, designed to do some really wonderful, powerful things. And so I beg you, in light of all that God has done, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And then from four to six, he fleshes it out. Things we walk away from, things we embrace. Next few weeks, there's some wonderful aspects of that as we flesh it out and live it out. This verse today is the fuel for that tank. This is the potential you have. This is who you are. This is what he designed you to be. This is where he wants you to go every day of your life, how it fleshes out in your worship experience, how it fleshes out in your marriage, how it fleshes out in your family, how it fleshes out as a mom and a dad raising children, how it fleshes out as children responding to my mom and dad. This is the fuel for that. Without it, you'll run dry. You try to misunderstand or misinterpret this verse, you'll run dry or end up performing, pretending that you've got it all together. You and I are part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance based on four basic premises that Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and coming King. You see that logo at different places, and that's essentially the focus of who we are. One of the things that I love about the Alliance is that we try to keep it simple without getting so overcomplicated, we get lost in theology and doctrine. Jesus Christ is our Savior. No other way to heaven but through Him. Jesus Christ is our healer. At the end of many services, we call people to come forward if you want to be anointed and prayed over. And we believe the same Jesus that healed on the streets of Jerusalem is the same Jesus that can heal now. We believe Jesus Christ is our coming king. When this world is all done and everything is said and over, 
Christ is going to return and take us back to be with him, those who know him as Lord and Savior, to be with him for all eternity. He is going to return. Most of us wish it was November 7th. But he is going to come back. We also believe in Christ our sanctifier, knowing that there is a point in my journey with Jesus where I honestly evaluate who I am what I am, what I wrestle with, and what he's calling me to, and I acknowledge, God, I can't do this. I can't live the life that you're calling me to. I really want to because I'm tired of that junk. It doesn't satisfy. It's not filling. I'm tired of living that. I'm tired of struggling with this. I'm tired of struggling with that. I really do want to live a life full and free. And it comes to that point when I recognize that Christ is my sanctifier. He is the one that sets me apart. He is the one that says, if you succumb, if you give all, if you say, yourself, say to yourself, I give you everything. You're going to see a note in your sermon notes in a minute, so you don't have to fill it in now. But it's not that you get more of him. He gets all of you, which is what we just sang. Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, seriously? You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as the one crucified, the one who sacrificed us all for you. I'd love to know this one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by how you performed, by works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you that foolish after believing this journey, understanding by the means of the Spirit that you can live this life, that now you're trying to do it on your own? One of the beauties of what God has for us is that you and I have the opportunity to quit trying to live this Christian life on our own and surrender to his power. It's only then that we really understand his grace and feel forgiven. You know you're forgiven theologically, but do you really feel free and forgiven? Another problem that arises, if I understand his verse, is pride. Where we think we've arrived. We've seen it in people. We've seen it in churches. People who after a while don't even know what's real or how to be real. The beauty of understanding this verse is that we don't have to pretend. We can let Christ live his life out of me. In your notes, the filling of the spirit is not a vehicle whereby I deny my pain, my fear, my weakness, and put on a happy face. It is the divine energy of God living in me, giving me the resources every day of my life, every moment of my life to face my pain, to face my shortcomings, to deal with it and grow up in Christ. And because of that, we don't have to pretend. But to get there, we've got to empty ourselves completely of self and allow ourselves to be filled and controlled by His Spirit. And to be really honest with you, there's only one way of being filled with something else, and that is to empty what's there. I said to a guy a long time ago who had amazing potential, I said, I want to be as honest with you as I know how. You are so full of yourself that you don't have any room for the Spirit of God at all. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, which is excess. Using wine in your notes is a three-dimensional concept. He's referring to control, to a counterfeit, and to excess. Focus here isn't the wine, but what Paul teaches is an illustration. The use of wine or alcohol, you know as well as I do, drugs, whatever that may be, controls your behavior, certainly a counterfeit, and we use it in, as a substitute for joy and happiness. 
could have used anything else to help us understand the principle, but he uses wine because he knew it would connect with them. For us, he could use anything we use as a substitute for joy and happiness. Could be our careers, could be our house, could be our home, could be a number of other things. Could be even religious activities. Nothing wrong with any of these in and of themselves. But if we use these things as a substitute for our joy, and we do them in excess or for the wrong reasons, we still find ourselves empty. Paul is saying, don't be controlled. Consumed with something outside of Christ. Don't lean on anything else because there really aren't anything else or isn't anything else in life that will be adequate. Fill your life with a bunch of other things and you'll always end up empty. And when you're alone and really honest with yourself, you realize they didn't do what they said they would do. Satan will never tell you that up front. Alcohol, drugs, sexual experience, the thrills of life, all of those things. Come on. Do you realize how much fun this would be? Realize how amazing this would be? He'll never tell you on the front end that any of those things, any of those things outside of Christ, will always at some point leave you empty and hollow inside. And you find yourself at home alone looking in the mirror saying, I it didn't do what it promised. Only Christ can do that, which is why we sang this morning, you've got to have it all. None of those things will satisfy. That's why Paul says, don't let any of those other things fill the void in your soul, the longing and emptiness of your spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of diversity in this context here, and some people actually teach that the filling of the Spirit is an experience accompanied by a sign, usually the, the gift of tongues. They'll teach that if you've never spoken in tongues, then you're not really filled with the Spirit. That teaching has enormous following. It's just not true. You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. But sadly, many evangelicals are so afraid of what the Spirit of God can do in their lives and so afraid of excess or abuse that they go the other way. My senior pastor in Newcastle, when I began ministry, talked a lot about that because the Pentecostal movement was dividing a lot of churches in the 70s. And he said, the sad thing about evangelicals sometimes is that we're so afraid of wildfire that we have no fire. I've got a Baptist pastor friend of mine, and I shouldn't say that he was Baptist. He'd be a really good friend of mine. He said, we absolutely know exactly what the Spirit of God can do. We just don't know what to do with him when he shows up. And because of abuse and poor teaching, many keep the filling of the Spirit at arm's length, something we teach but never experience, and never really see the fullness and the power of God's Spirit in our lives. If we don't want a stoic theological approach to the work of the Spirit, and we don't want experience to dictate my theology, then what do we do? Paul tells you, be filled with the Spirit. In your notes, it's not an option, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. It's a command. On any given Sunday, there are normally a lot of different types of people in churches, but there are usually three. The people who are curious, who, who come, haven't really committed their lives to Christ, but they're curious as to what it's all about, and they go to a church to try to figure it out. Some of them go to church just because it's what you do on Sunday, but never really committed their lives to Christ. Now, there are 
others who are the opposite of that. They are fully committed, spirit-filled Christians who are growing into faith and growing in the word, who are serving and witnessing, caring about the lost, they're passionate about their relationship with Jesus, and they love what they're doing in him. But sadly, there's that third group. They're saved. They, they, they punch their ticket to heaven, but that's all the further they want to go. They come on Sunday morning, do their religious thing, but they don't want to go any deeper than that. Being in that group's not okay. Salvation without commitment, without a depth of my relationship with God, they just don't go together. The beginning of my experience with God is when I accept Him as my Lord and Savior, but that's the beginning of my journey. It's not the end product. Many have said, as long as I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, that's good enough for me. I don't want to go any deeper in that. And the scary position to be in there is that it leads to apathy and mediocrity. It's not the deeper life and the shallow life. The longer we're with Jesus, the deeper we go, and the more mature we become, and the more and more we look like Him. It's commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. Anything less is disobedience. To be filled with the Spirit is simply to be controlled by the Spirit. You don't get more of Him, He gets more of you. Whenever God was looking for people in the New Testament to do a job, he looked for men and women filled or controlled by the Spirit. He didn't look for education, age, or gender, but those who were filled with the Spirit. When we read the word be filled, in the Greek it literally means be kept continually filled. Be in a possession, position where you're constantly open to the voice of God, listening to the Spirit of God, yielding to the Spirit of God, understanding and hearing His voice every day, every moment, every hour, every decision. Filling of the Spirit is not secured by an experience. It's not one shot and I'm good for life. It's a constant act. Always going on in my life where I'm dependent on Him and I'm yielding to His Spirit that's already there. It is a moment by moment, decision by decision, day by day walk with God. It's not an experience in your notes. It's a lifestyle. I don't know if any of you remember going to a summer camp. And near the end of summer camp, we all had a big campfire at the end and everybody talked about their commitments and the things they learned throughout the week and talked about where they're going and going back to facing school or the challenges of life or family or whatever that may be. And somewhere in that context of a conversation, we would say things like this, I'm really going to do this now. I, I'm, this year is the year. I'm going to, uh, seriously, I'm going to live it out. This is the year. I, I, I really mean it. This time, I'm going to stay committed. And we think it was dependent upon that moment. That may have been a great start, may have been a great place that God wanted to take you to, but the filling of the Spirit is a day-by-day, decision-by-decision choice. It's not an experience, as I said, it's a lifestyle. It's a process of allowing God to control every single area of my life. To control my will, to control my decisions, to control my finances, to control my family, to control my tongue, to control my attitude, to control my marriage, to control my response to life and response to people. The list is endless of the challenges that you get faced with every single moment of every single day. 
It's at that moment recognizing I don't have to figure this out on my own. I don't have to do this on my own. I don't have to hold my tongue on my own. I don't have to have my attitude checked on my own. I can count on the power of God's spirit to be able to help me through that process of making those decisions day by day by day. The phrase has three basic concepts to it in your notes. One is uh, the, the wind in the sails that sets the direction. You know as well as I do if you've ever been in a sailboat it usually won't go anywhere unless you put the, the sail up and allow the wind to take you where you need to go. And that's what he's talking about here in this context. It is the wind in your sails. It gives you direction. It allows you to be in a position where I'm going to open myself up to what God wants to do and let his spirit move me along. I'm not going to try to make those decisions about finances and careers and jobs and any of those things just by my own sheer knowledge or my own sheer will. It's allowing, well, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to be involved? How do you want me to react to this situation? How do you want me to treat my wife? How do you want me to treat my kids? How do you want me to raise my kids? How do you want me to handle that boss? Man, man. God, I, I'm going to work tomorrow. That person that sits beside me and that desk around me or that cubby next to me drives me insane. Not me, by the way. I'm talking about some of you. What do, help me. I'm, I'm going to walk in there tomorrow, God. They're going to set me off. It'll start that moment. I got to walk on that dock and listen to that guy's mouth. God, how, help me do that. I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm going to set my sail toward you, and I'm going to let your wind just guide me along, and I'm listening to your spirit, and I'm going to allow you to take me through the process. And that's a great way to live life. and certainly a great way to spend your day. The second concept is, is, is permeation. Hey, Jim, come here a minute, will you? I, got, I need a... Uh, Autumn, come here, babe. I need your help. I need, I need some volunteers. Anybody volunteer? Thank you, Jim, for volunteering. That was very gracious of you. <laughs> Autumn, thank you, babe. Hold this. Come up here so they can see you. Autumn, take that. Take this. Come on up here on the stage so they can see you. Autumn, what I want you to do, oh, this is bad. This has been sitting around too long. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just took it out of my fridge and had cereal this morning. I just didn't think of that. I want you to pour some chocolate in there. I want you to stir it around a little bit. All right, stir it around a little bit. Hold it around this way, Jim, so the camera can see you up there. Keep stirring, some, Autumn. You're going to have to stir really hard on this milk. All right, now, Jim, this is what I want you to do. All right? No, I'm not going to ask you to drink it, no. But what I would like you to do is put the milk on the bottom and the chocolate on the top for me. I, I want you to separate those two. I want you to get the milk to the bottom and the chocolate to the top so you see the white and the bottom and the round. Can you do that for me? How much time do we have? And not enough. Thank you. You can't do it, right? Well, the Spirit of God saturates your life. It permeates everything. It's not like you compartmentalize your life. It's not like you say, okay, this is how I'm going to act on Sunday. This is how I'm going to respond on Sunday. This is how I'm going to sing on Sunday. Then I'm probably going to be a little bit different on Monday. It saturates and permeates every aspect of your life. 
When you are filled with God's spirit and allowing him to control every area of your life, and he has access to all the areas of your life, your attitude, your responses, your personality, all the issues that you're going to face, your family decisions, the list is endless. When you allow him to permeate and saturate all of that, you can't separate the two. You don't want to separate the two. Men are classic at compartmentalizing. We are. We can do and say the dumbest things and not think a thing about it and then talk spirituality and talk about our relationship with Jesus that saturates and permeates every area of our life. It's not that you can compartmentalize any of that. When you allow the Spirit of God to so permeate your life, He saturates every area of your life. The third thing, it speaks of domination. In John 16, there's a number of terms all the way through Scripture in, in the gospel. They were filled with sorrow. They were filled with fear. They were filled with faith. Filled with the Spirit means dominated. I've got a decision to make when it comes to the filling of the Spirit. Either I obey it or not. I open myself up. I'm brought along by His power. I'm permeated by His Spirit. I'm dominated by His presence. And I allow him to control every single area of my life. I'm not afraid of what it's going to look like. I'm not worried about it being an experience. I just put myself in a position where I can say, God, I've been holding some things back. It's killing me. I really, really, really do want to live the life you're calling me to. But it's hard. It's really, really hard. I don't want to do all that stuff. I really want to. Get on the other side of my relationship with you. How do I do that? I tell you, filled with the Spirit. Dominated, controlled, day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, every single area of your life. It's awesome. It's awesome. You're not mastered, and it's not, whew, I finally have arrived. But it's the absolute greatest life you can ever imagine if you allow him to saturate, permeate, dominate, fill you with his spirit. Day by day, moment by moment, be continually being in a place where you're being filled moment by moment. We're going to celebrate communion. One of the greatest reminders of what it is that Christ has done for us. It's a visual reminder of everything we've had on the stage over the last number of weeks. Who I was in Christ, dead in my transgressions and sins, how he raised me to life and allows me to be a masterpiece. He loves me and cherishes me and wants me to be everything he's designed me to be. And he wants it to saturate every area of my life. He promised me that I wouldn't deal with it alone, that he would be there with me all the way to the end, which is exactly what he did to his disciples when he sat there that night in that upper room and said, look, this is where you get life. This is where you get life. And every time you hold that bread in your hands, you're reminded again, this is where you get life. It's not in all those other things that the world tells us will satisfy. It's in him and him alone. This is where you get forgiveness. It's in me. And every time you hold that cup, you're reminded of the sacrifice that he made on the cross so that you and I can have life and have it forever. The fullness of God's spirit, everything on the other side that he promised us. But it begins with an understanding of who he is and what he has done 
and a continual a beginning part where I give myself to him and I allow him to come into my life, which if you've never done before, you can do today. And from that point on, it's an ongoing journey until I see him face to face, day by day, decision by decision, moment by moment, allowing him to control my life. You're going to hear that song that we sang just a moment ago. Relentless pursuit until he has it all. And so this morning, while you're holding those emblems of reminders of what he did on the cross, ask him, talk to him about what he doesn't yet have and yield it all. It is the greatest life you'll ever live. I'm going to ask the gentlemen to come down. All over this campus are going to serve you communion, so if you would start doing that. You will notice that if you've never been here before, there are the bread and the cup in the whole tray. And so while you're seated, seating, sitting beside somebody else, I trust that you'll help them do that and get them out. And then hold it until the end. And then I'll come back up and walk us through it all together. Question that you ask yourself this morning. He gave his all. Does he have your all?
Every time I think of the fact that he gave his all so that you and I can have life forever and what he wants in return is our, our, our all, I feel like he's getting shortchanged. We don't have that much to give. He gave everything so that you and I can have life. And what fascinates me is that that's what he does most. Our all. This relentless pursuit of us that brought him to the world gave his life so that we could have life forever and the abundant life not just for the future but for now Lord Jesus the night he was betrayed took bread and broke it and blessed it and said this is my body this is where you get life took a cup said this is where you get forgiveness it's not by the blood of sacrifices any longer it's by mine and I give my life so that you can have life before you eat the bread and drink the cup, he said you ought to look inside, which is why we always give you the opportunity to do that. So that we do it in a pure manner, recognizing what he has done for us and what he asks in return, which is why every time we do communion, we give you the opportunity to do that. Thank you for what he's done for you as you share. Father, I thank you for your amazing love and grace that poured itself out all through humanity and all through human history but ultimately that day on the cross and he gave your life so that we can have life and have it forever and have it now and so we're delighted for the abundant life for the gifts that you've given us for the opportunities we have to follow you day by day moment by moment decision by decision and for not leaving us here alone to try to figure this out on our own but giving us direction from your word and the power of your spirit to live it out May that be the mantra of our life, that we want you to have it all as we follow after you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If we can't pray for you in any way, we'd love to do that. I trust you have a great day. And whatever we can do for you, please let us know. God bless. Shoot your words like a gun, take your aim and shoot again.